Welcome to Review the Future, the podcast that takes an in-depth look at the impact of technology on culture. I'm Ted Cover. I'm John Perry. And today we're doing a special bonus episode of the Review the Future podcast. We are here a week early now. Right. We usually do uh, an episode every other week, but this week we're going to do an in-between mini-episode. If for some reason you're tuning into this podcast for the first time, and this is your first episode, it should be said that usually we take deep dives into single topics, but today is going to be a, more of a variety show where right. we deal with listener feedback uh, as well as some small mini-topics. Right. And of course, part of the reason that we're doing this special episode is that at the moment that you are listening to this, our Kickstarter for our science fiction graphic novel, Let Go, is live. So yes, that's the big news. We've been sort of teasing this thing uh, at the end of episodes a little bit, but we wanted to let everybody who's been listening to the podcast know that we are working on this graphic novel project, which is speculative science fiction. And if you're a fan of this podcast and the kinds of things we talk about here, uh, we think it might be something you'll be real interested in. It's about an ordinary family living through multiple technological changes. And in the book, we dramatize the effects of technological unemployment and radical life extension, smart drugs, and so many other things that we've discussed on prior episodes. Also, we've made a series of choices in creating the book that I think will appeal to fans of our podcast. Like in our world, the technology always works. It's not a run amok story, so you don't have to worry about you know, it turning into just another Frankenstein. The other thing that we decided is that the technology wouldn't be good or evil. Instead, it would just be a tool that the characters use to try to get what they want. And we would look at the ways that that affected them. And if we do include a technology in the story, we tried to really map out and show all of the consequences across society, not just for a particular person, but sort of for the world. We really think you'll be interested in it if you like this podcast. And you can get right to the Kickstarter if you go to letgocomic.com. That will reroute you there. But, you know, even if you're not really a comics person, this really is the best way right now that you can support our podcast if you find them valuable, if you've been listening. We don't do any sponsorship and we don't take donations, but uh, we would really appreciate some support for this Kickstarter. Really, anything can help. Like, even if you can only give $1 to the Kickstarter, that helps us a lot if you do it today. Because today's our first day, and if we get a bunch of backers, even at $1, that's going to be really good for us. Or if, you know, if you don't get to this podcast the day we launch, then within the first few days, just having those backer numbers up is a big advantage. Right. And if you can't even afford $1, but you have five minutes to spare, another thing that you can do that really helps us a lot is just tell your friends who you think might be interested in a sci-fi comic book. So, you know, put a post on Facebook or send an email to five people, you know, that means a tremendous amount to us. You know, we try not to ask you guys for almost anything, but we really think this is like a good product and it'll be worth, worth your time to check it out. Okay, so uh, on to a couple little items for this episode. Uh, first is a small thing. I wanted to give out some thanks to people who've sent us some creative work that they've made that they said was inspired by this podcast. One of these comes from at Mark Jones Art UK on Twitter, who sent us a really cool drawing that he made of self-driving cars. And we'll post that in the show notes so you can check that out. Yeah, check that out. That's awesome. And also thanks to Izzy Gonzalez, uh, who sent us his short story. So if you find these podcasts inspiring in some way to create something that's amazing, please continue sending us that stuff. We love to see it. Absolutely. Uh, also, thank you for writing into us. We really love to hear from you guys. And the best letter we got in the last couple of weeks was from uh, our listener, Jared Wide, 
who wrote in with a couple of follow-up uh, proposals talking about virtual reality after listening to our, our recent VR episode and our recent uh, movies episode. And these are really interesting questions. Honestly, I thought we could have done whole full episodes on these, but I wanted to respond to them right away because uh, they just like made me think of a bunch of interesting stuff. Okay, so he said this. I'd prefer to hear your predictions on virtual reality as a social media. For example, using SoundCloud as a concert hall where you could watch pre-recorded concerts that felt live because they would be on a stage and other people browsing the web would be in attendance. Or party websites where people could meet at a time and place with Facebook friends without making the host pick up their trashed solo cups. So those are interesting ideas. Let's take those one at a time. Right, right. Let's go um, through these. I, I like these to, as a starting point. So let's think first about VR equivalents of these things and not think about the bigger question of does VR eat the web? Because I think that's a more complicated question. We can get to that in a second. But a VR version of SoundCloud where concerts can be recorded in VR, 360 video, uploaded to a, a system, and then through your VR thing, you can access these concerts, Right. Right. That sounds really compelling to me, actually. That seems to work really well with the current state of that technology to be a better concert video experience than is currently available with regular video. Right. I think it's a step up from what we have now in terms of online concert footage. I also want to look at it, though, from the other side, which is like, what do you get out of the actual real life concert experience? Right. Right. What in the real life concert experience is a nuisance that you don't want to reproduce in VR? And what in the real life concert experience is some intangible extra thing that you want to keep? And, you know, I mean, because concerts can be a huge pain. You got to wait in line. There's, they can be too crowded. There's sweaty people bumping into you and blocking your line of sight of the performers on stage. These are things you wouldn't want to keep, right? But presumably what you would want to keep, since we are talking about social spaces here, is other people in some form or another. I guess for the sense of community or perhaps the possibility that you might actually meet someone. When sure. you're going to a concert. So if you had to design in virtual space, and let's assume no technical limitations for the time being, mm -hmm. what would your fantasy virtual concert setup be? Right. It's a little bit hard to imagine, actually. I mean, you'd want to have like a sort of virtual dance floor where you could put your POV and move around, but you'd want it set up so that no one's ever blocking you. And if you see somebody dancing or chatting about the situation and you want to talk to them, you can. Well, so here's what, here's what I think, right? Because I, if I think of the best concerts I've been to, uh -huh. they've been ones where it was just crowded enough. Right. Right? But there was still nice freedom of movement. So I'm thinking maybe a million people are watching the concert, but the computer partitions them all into smaller subrooms. Right. So you're in a room with maybe 30 people. Right. And the room is big enough that you can easily maneuver around them. And maybe they can block you. I, I feel like, I mean, maybe you can like turn them transparent as a setting if you want to. But I feel like to preserve the sort of feeling of actually interacting with other human beings. Well, you can also alter your height, right? That's true. So I, I feel like, you know, that might work. But I don't know. I mean, at that point, you're going to have such a good view of the show. Are you going to be talking to other people and... I mean, I don't know how important is well, meeting right. people to the concert experience. I mean, really. look at the, uh, let's think about the concert video experience too, because this is not, of course, a live VR broadcast. We're not at that place yet, right? Like right. at some point, a band will be able to meet in VR. The band itself will be in VR. They'll be in various parts of the world. They'll be able to play together. It'll all be fast enough. But right now we're not there. You have to shoot this stuff algorithmically stitch it together, and then you can play it back at a later time. Sure. So I wonder whether 
like SoundCloud now, you know, SoundCloud now has social features, but they're pretty minimal. They're like, you can leave a comment time to the music so that when other people play the music back later, they see your comment. I feel like you might have a version of this that's just exactly like the concert footage we saw where you're just in a static location of that's where they put the camera. You can move your head around. It's a more enveloping experience than a traditional concert video. It has a little bit more of that live presence, that live feel. But ultimately, it's pretty similar to a concert video. You know, it sounds better than a concert, but otherwise it's less immediate and less engrossing. And, and that would still probably be pretty compelling because, you know, just there's all these concerts that happen that you don't have access to, you can't get to, whatever. And experiencing them that way would probably be better than not at all for a lot of people. So even a pretty limited version of this that's just working on tech as currently available, I think would be pretty compelling. Right. And I think, you know, you're definitely talking about things that will be possible very soon, if not now, right? I mean, I mean you could basically build this now. The only problem is not everybody has an Oculus yet, but we know they're going to have them soon. I guess, again, I'm, it's fun to sort of daydream about what the ideal design would be. And I get, I, 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 I think feel like the ideal design involves the band also playing in VR so that the entire space is fully programmable. Right, right. And so like, you know, you've got people playing MIDI controllers and different parts of the world, everybody's hooked up real time. And, you know, the instruments themselves, the synthesis that's creating the sounds, all of it is completely controllable, probably on an individual level. Probably not only can the band control all their stuff, but probably like each listener can control their stuff. So it's broadcast live. It's broadcast live. It's experienced live. It's also archived. So you can re-experience it at any time, but you'd have the full benefit of a live performance. You'd have everything you want from a live performance. You'd be able to yell at the band, play Freebird, and they'd be able to look at you and be like, screw you guys, we don't play Freebird. Well, so then my like separate rooms idea would no longer work. You'd have to literally just cap the audience size, I think. If you want to have like that interaction with the band, which actually, right. that's probably more important than the interaction with the other concert goers right. in a lot of cases. Right. So that means you would just have to impose some artificial limits and these concerts would be so cheap to put on once the infrastructure was in place that you just bands would play tons of concerts, but they'd play each concert for like 30 people at a time. Or however many turns out to be the ideal number. The ideal number. Yeah. I suspect it might be more like a thousand people, but it's not. No, but a thousand people like, can't meaningfully interact and get their requests heard. But I That's think as long as it's not a good number. Well, I, I think, you know, several hundred can probably still get their requests heard because not everybody's going to be screaming out songs. They'll, but, uh, I don't know. I'd rather that maybe it's just me that I'd rather be at like an intimate concert than like a simulated Hollywood Bowl experience. Well, that yeah, that's like tens of thousands. So that's like that's sure or even even larger. But I mean, like even like a large club show is several hundred people. But yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I don't know what the number is, whatever number it is. It's, you know, if everybody can see if it's programmed such that you can't have a bad seat, everybody can see and hear really well, then I think you could have more people at a certain point. It's too many and you can't get that. I yelled something at the band and he smiled at me kind of like interaction that I think is a a key value. But the other thing is like to get the most out of the people that are in the experience with you, right? I feel like you don't want as many because you want to like, let's say there's some concert goer that's got like a strange silly avatar that is some riff on one of the band's song titles or something Mm -hmm. clever like that. You want to kind of like brush past that person and then see them a second time and then like say hello to them a third time. And then well, like but the computer could make all that happen with an arbitrary number of people. I think it'll just figure out who's getting looked at 
from across by the... partitioning things the way that I was talking about. No, not by splitting everybody up into rooms, but just by showing you like instead everybody's kind of in their own room that's generated on the fly and that's always changing and it's kind of like your newsfeed on Facebook. Whoever's getting attention gets shuffled into your room. If you pay attention to them, they stick around or come back. If you ignore them, maybe they don't. You know, the computer's just working. I don't know. I would like the freedom of movement. If this is going to be like immersive VR, I kind of, there's parts of the real world that I want, that I find that I, in my imagination, at least I want. Like I want to be able to walk around the room and have people have persistent positions. Like I realize that you don't need to do that, yeah, but I, I mean, actually want that. Really? I, I guess I'm, I'm not sure without having done it, whether I care about that. So maybe that's important. I, you know, you could definitely offer that. Well, so that could be honestly a whole podcast episode in and of itself is just this concept of when you go into VR, there's like real world restrictions that you don't have to bring with you. Right. And, but some of them you may want to bring with you anyways, right? right? right. And picking out which of those are which is really interesting. Should we talk about his second concept? Well, so... Which was the party? Right. So, okay, let's talk about the party. So let's talk about a party VR experience. Now he's calling this sort of like a VR version of Facebook. I don't know if I would properly call Facebook a party, but... Um, <laughs> it's a really lame party. I mean... It is. I don't... I just... Yeah, there's so many different issues I have with that idea, but I like the idea of a party VR experience and a, a VR experience that is just... It's aimless and social, you know? It's a no, no purpose but to be social. I do want to quibble with one part of what he said. I think this was sort of just a, a joke... But he was, you know, he made the reference to the host not having to pick up cups. Right. And I mean, that's clearly not what right. the advantage of this is because that, you know, the fact that you have to clean up after a party, after a physical party, yeah, that's kind of a drag, but it's a drag for one person out of all the people at a party, which depending on how big the party is, is a really small fraction. And it's not really that hard to clean up. So I just feel like that's not a big price to pay for a real life party. And I don't think getting rid of that cost is a big advantage of VR. I think right. the, the much of- bigger advantage is geographical. Yes, exactly. Yeah. I mean, obviously I think he's making a joke here. And of course, you know, sometimes a would be host maybe doesn't throw a party because they're afraid of cleanup. But yeah, I think more likely people you want at your party can't come because they're in another time zone and they'd have to take an expensive form of transportation to get there. So if the internet can allow us to have virtual parties that feature our friends from around the world. Um, that's, that sounds great, right? Yeah, that's a clear advantage. I'm um, really into that idea. You know, that there are obvious disadvantages to having a party in VR. I like to, you know, be able to smell and touch uh, and taste things when I'm at a party. Um, so having the media not support those senses is an obvious downside. But um, yeah, you're going to have to cater your own private VR party uh, when it comes to safety. Right, exactly. And- That's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I'm imagining myself hooked into the Oculus, leaning back in the chair. I got a beer and maybe a bowl of pretzels next to me. And uh, I'm virtual, you know, I'm in my house drinking alone doing VR. But in my mind, I'm in a party having a good time with my friends. That sounds pretty good. Uh, like something I would do when I didn't have a real party to go to, though I'm not sure I would choose it over a real party every night. I might choose it when I'm sick of my friends and want to see other folks, or I might choose it when there's not anything going on. Now, here's Uh, something you want at a VR party, I think. What's that? You want to be able to look at people and see their full range of facial expressions. And in recent episodes, we've talked about how this can occur, 
But I think the simplest way is to just have a camera on you that then projects the real-time image of you sitting at home into the virtual space so that everyone else can see it. Oh, I think the easiest way to do it is to have a camera on you that is then abstracted from heavily. And then your avatar has those. Well, that software seems further along than the software that can map your video head over a 3D image in real time. I, I think they already can do a reasonably good job with that. So I don't think that'll be that, that hard to do. And that data is not video. So it's a lot, you know, you can compress it on the client side before you send it up into the network. I just think it's a lot easier to manage like 20 streams of, of vector data than, you know, a whole shit ton of video. The other thing is, you know, if you're wearing the goggles, you can't have a video of your face because the video will just be of you wearing the goggles. So you got to remember that. Now, if you're wearing, you know, AR glasses that can be seen through even when they're projecting into your retinas or whatever, then uh, maybe it doesn't matter. But for at least the early versions of this, like Oculus style versions, you're going to have to use an avatar. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's true. I guess, so. yeah, it would, it would require the, the much crazier, you know, Magic Leap. Or is it Magic Leap? Yeah, it's yeah, Magic Leap Magic style Leap. technology. Right. To actually do what I'm talking about. Yeah. But this brings me to my next thought, though, which right. is one of the reasons you go to a party is to meet people right? Let's, let's just talk about dating even, or singles events, because I think this is an obvious use for this technology, right? Yeah, yeah. You want to, uh, what happens on, wh what? You, no, you I sound mean, skeptical already. Well, I have a thought about this, but go ahead. So on, a, on, there's a premium on dating sites for people showing actual pictures of themselves. Now people cheat in all kinds of ways, but the system tries to make it so that they don't. And usually things work better when people post accurate pictures. And so I think that, you know, maybe not in your just casual, fun party reunion with your old high school friends who are scattered across the country, but at maybe more of a party where you're trying to meet people, you want to see what they actually look like. You don't necessarily want to see their avatar just aping their facial expressions. Right. Well, and this is a general problem potentially with VR, which is, uh, are people generally going to choose avatars that are more or less like themselves or not? That's a big question. I think, I, I, I don't know what the, the larger like trend answer is going to be. Obviously there'll be both things, but I don't know which will be the more prevalent. And it seems to me like virtual dating is going to run into a lot of problems if it's not based on real world photographic source. I also feel like in the, in a way virtual reality has like the least to offer dating of all the things that are currently done on the web, because like, all the benefits of virtuality are the ways you can meet people who are not physically present, but it's so very important to be physically present when dating. <laughs> it's just, it's well, like, no, I mean, nothing replaces going on a date. This would not replace that. This right. would replace browsing profiles, which is already a right. dull online experience. Which is, yeah, and I think browsing profiles is already getting disrupted by gamified profile approval, like Tinder-style uh, dating services. Well, that's just a different form of browsing, I but, guess. But well, I guess so. But it's the profiles are so simple; they're almost entirely pictures, and the decisions are one at a time and gamified, so as to make you do the boring part, I guess. But yeah, I don't know. It's hard for me to imagine what a VR dating service is going to look like or do, other than throw pictures and video at you. I mean, I can only talk about like what I would theoretically want, which is again, right. like I want a space, same as what I want for the concert. I want a space with a limited number of people, uh, freedom of movement to mingle and wander around in there. And I want to see people's actual faces if that technology is doable. 
I mean, it may not be doable soon, but it doesn't sound impossible. No, it doesn't sound impossible. I I don't know whether it'd be easier to like make a similar enough avatar and then have that project your features or whether you want to just use video, but, or maybe you can make some kind of, you know, photo reel composite from a bunch of pictures of you or something like that. I don't know. All those things sound plausible, but I'm not sure. Now, before we move on to a second really interesting question, I wanted to like address, Jarrett sort of implied in his email, I don't have the other email in front of me right now, that he expected VR technology to sort of eat the web and like major websites, like he's talking about SoundCloud and Facebook as if they just become VR apps or something. I have a real question about that in my mind. I think that it's possible that that will happen, but I also think it's possible that they just exist alongside each other and that there are still a lot of things that we just deal with on a 2D screen that are what we would call websites, you know, web apps. And that even in VR, like when you're accessing Facebook, you might do it just by calling up a 2D screen within the VR world and looking at Facebook for a second and then going back to the world you're in. Because I'm not sure that every online experience necessarily benefits from an immersive take. And I think some of these things are actually best when they're very low attention and you can glance at them and get some information and then go back to whatever it is you're doing. You want the abstracted version. Yeah, you do. I mean... At least as an option. In, in, example, Facebook. Like, I can imagine being in a VR space and wanting to look down at my VR hand and on my phone check Facebook. But I can't imagine going to Facebook land <laughs> and just living inside a giant feed. Like, to me, that sounds like it's the opposite of what I use Facebook for. Facebook is my way of quickly keeping up on a whole host of things I'm interested in, you know? The more immersive you make it, almost like the less useful it is to me in, in a way. And I'm not sure that's true of everything. I think, you know, a lot of things probably will move over, but I, I'm not sure that VR apps are just going to be websites with VR interfaces. Yeah, I mean, I, d- I definitely don't think it will replace a lot of websites. I mean, you know, a lot of what people do on the web is doesn't make sense to be immersive. I mean, a lot of it's just reading material or shopping. Plus, I just feel like in general, in our lives, there's times when we need non-immersive content because we are standing in line and we can't escape to VR town, but we do want to check our Facebook. But I think to me, the core of the question is about social VR and what you can do with that, right? So, So that's why I think like, you know, dating possibly makes sense. I don't know. We didn't really seem to crack a way to do that well, but well, yeah, I mean, somebody can make some money if they can figure it out. So uh, I'm sure they will try. But also another one, I don't know, maybe education. Sure. Right. I mean, I think for t- to interact with a teacher or a tutor and your other classmates in a virtual space could offer a lot of possibilities especially if, you know, the teacher has full control over the environment and can use that to illustrate things that they're teaching. Right. It'll be like your teacher is a magician in a movie about magician teachers. So this could like disrupt education, maybe. Yeah. Uh, another one that comes to mind, but this is like a much smaller use case than education is therapy, you know? Of course. I mean, yeah. Anything that's already a, designed to be a social experience. Social experience. Right, 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 right. Yeah. That makes sense. I your Alcoholics Anonymous meeting, your VR Anonymous meeting. <laughs> yeah, your VR, you're showing up in VR to your VR Anonymous meeting. Um, yeah, that's funny. So Jared asked well, about virtual drugs. Perfect transition from anonymous meetings. Right, exactly. Jared asked, in a world where SoundCloud has become a virtual concert site and Facebook has become a lounge, so in a world where basically like VR eats the web, could... 
viruses be sort of like taking drugs because they would distort reality. Now, I don't know enough about this to know what the differences are, but I suspect that when the hallucinations are exogenous, that the result on the brain is different from when, you know, you've ingested some LSD and you're hallucinating inside your own, you know, when the things are coming from your own mind. Yeah, I don't know how it would be that much different than watching a psychedelic movie or playing a psychedelic video game. It's it's external to you. You don't have the feeling of being on the drug. So right. to me, I mean, I don't know. This is just video and audio effects at the end of the day. Like, I don't... This sounds more just like surrealist experience design that would probably feel pretty qualitatively different from, say psychedelic drugs from like say you know mushrooms or acid yeah now if you had sinister intentions and, and i do and you wanted to trick someone yeah uh into thinking they were tripping or otherwise messed up then maybe you could write a virus or something that you know very subtly began to affect your vr experience in ways that weren't obvious at first i guess it although now, this is like just, a virus for your vr browser or your vr operating system right it's like because this has got to work like across multiple experiences you'd have to work across multiple applications like yeah. you you know you exit the you know paul mccartney starts looking like a demon while you're watching the paul mccartney concert video so you exit that and you go to uh your your demon game and all the demons start pulsing or something start looking like paul mccartney they start looking like paul mccartney that's right and then you can't kill them what are you trying to say about paul mccartney ted I'm trying to say he was the walrus, obviously. Okay. Uh, as long as we've sorted that out. Uh, I, I, To me, yeah, maybe you could fool people, although, you know, wouldn't they just assume that something was broken in their VR? I guess if they were in it long enough and immersed well enough that they might sort of forget to think of it as software breaking down. I mean, this idea of virtual gaslighting is really funny, but yeah, I don't know. It sounds hard to pull off unless somebody is like seriously committed to their VR. Like they're just going to have to be in there a lot. Yeah, so it doesn't seem like you can really use it for nefarious purposes other than, you know, I mean, for jo- I mean, it could be a really funny virus. This right, one that right, like right. It's puts the equ- different heads on it's things. It's the equivalent of the uh, changing your boss's desktop when he's not around sort of gag. But I think it's more likely that the only way you'd get something like that is by programming it intentionally. So like maybe Facebook's lounge would have a, you know, the way that you can buy stickers on Facebook now and they're just images. You could buy drugs on Facebook, and uh, and they would, you know, make the colors go wacky. Wouldn't it be a cool visual right. like filter, basically, over your experience? Right, exactly. But I think that would have to be supported by the platform. Now, I doubt that it will, like, cause current psychedelic drug fans to put away their psychedelic drugs and say, no, I'm going to just do this from now on. You know what I think actually might work better than any kind of, like, visual distortions or you know, hallucinatory effects is just like straight up flying apps or something like that. Like something that's just, that's not specifically a drug experience, but that's just like a, an experience that people want that's impossible to get. And then just one more thing I want to discuss about Jared's letters that this brought to mind for me, because he asked what kind of programming would it require to uh, have, you know, a Facebook lounge or something like that. And I did a little looking into this. Uh, they are building over at the Mozilla Institute um, a VR markup language. And so there is a project afoot to try to make it accessible for regular folks to build VR websites. And 
in that world that that becomes good enough, you might see like a real explosion of VR experiences kind of like the way, you know, we've seen an explosion of websites uh, on the internet uh, and apps on smartphones. But I guess I'm a little skeptical of that. I kind of feel like, for now anyway, VR production seems like it's really difficult and it presents a genuine cost barrier. And I think at first, a lot of the spaces that are fully built out that are compelling to experience in VR, particularly those that are CG generated and not just a, a, a video um, recording of an experience, are going to be coming out of uh, pretty big you know, concerns, uh, game companies, Oculus Studios, uh, uh, you know, animation houses, things of that size. So anyway, I think it's a big open question right now whether we're going to have a VR web, basically, is the conclusion. And I think that that's a really exciting idea. So I wanted to thank Jared for bringing that up. But I think this might be one of these things where it's not so much that we can't have it as that, is that really what we want? Experiences where the value is in the experience, it makes sense to digitize those as VR. But there's many things that we do with our computers that the point is not the experience. And those things I'm not sure really get any better by being put into that format. So the last thing I wanted to do with this episode is just give a, a mini review of a movie that I think is very good and I wholeheartedly recommend. And that is a indie film, a science fiction film called Advantageous, which you can find on Netflix right now. Uh, Ted, you haven't seen this one yet. No, I have not gotten to it. So why don't you, you know, what it's what was it like? Uh, so this is in that same sort of art house sci-fi genre of things like Her and Robot and Frank and maybe to a lesser extent Ex Machina. And there's a lot of things happening in this future that are in the background that aren't fully explained. But the main theme of it seems to be this is a world that really has a stratified society. It's a world where, you know, because of AI and automation, there's an elite class increasingly, and it's just harder and harder to get ahead, harder and harder to get a job, harder and harder to get into good schools and to be relevant. And, you know, some of the things that we've talked about, a lot of people are discussing the fact that we're headed for a more unequal future. Right. And that really seems to be the setting of this movie. Now, the movie itself is just way zoomed in on its characters. So, I mean, the core plot line is essentially a mom trying to get her daughter into a elite private school so that her daughter can have, you know, all the advantages that come with that and mm -hmm. be part of this new elite class in this, you know, somewhat dystopian future. And uh, you just have to know it's, it's paced slowly. I mean, this really feels even That's more okay like an with me. art film than the other movies that I mentioned, because it's, again, really zoomed in on these characters, but it's got some really good, creepy scenes. I have nitpicks with it, of course, like I always do, but I think they're pretty minor, you know? You can kind of tell that it's low budget, but I think it does, man you know, because it, it looks a little low budget, you know, they're sort of not showing too much. They're not able to show a lot of people, so I think the movie feels a little bit empty, mm -hmm. and it kind of suffers for that a bit. But, uh, you know, the music and the sound design and, uh, you know, the, the character focus, I think, sort of save it and just create, like, a mood that is, is effective, even though they obviously didn't have a lot of money when they were making this thing. That sounds pretty good. Okay, so I am going to give my nitpicks, but these are going to be inevitably spoiler nitpicks. So. Yeah, so if you're desperate not to be spoiled, turn it off now, now, okay. I think, I think we're good. And actually, I'll, I'll try to, to minimize how much I'm giving away. But basically, 
the movie ultimately builds up to a consciousness transfer from one body to another. The mother undergoes a procedure that moves her to a new body. And what happens when you transfer a consciousness, I presume, right? If you imagine this theoretical sort of brain scanning and technology that can do this, uh-huh. is that you would scan the entire brain and you would take all the memories with it. That's kind of the whole point. I mean, that's what a person largely is, is the sum total of all their memories. I don't think we have any idea of how to take the brain without taking the memories, right? That's what I'm saying. So this movie has a little conceit in it where during the brain transfer, the people doing the transfer target and leave a specific memory out, which bugs me. It bugs me for a couple reasons. One, that sounds really hard and probably not doable, even at the point that you can do the first thing, which is super advanced and speculative to begin with. Right. You mean, already transferring consciousness is insanely advanced and crazy. Right. But I think it's a whole additional level beyond that to be able to pinpoint and remove a single memory. Right. Right, because that... You know, the first as version... As far as we know, memories are not like a file on a hard drive. Right. like holographic. Exactly. Because when you transfer... You could transfer consciousness while, again, treating the brain essentially like a black box that you don't fully understand. Right. You just copy all the details of it and you move it over. As long as you have high enough resolution, it should just work. Right. But to remove a certain memory, you would have to really intricately understand the brain's fundamental algorithm. And, and be we- able to search it. Yeah, at which point, you know, it'd be and a different... How, what mood. do you even search for when you're searching for memory? I mean, I'm not saying it's totally impossible, but it would just, that's not, that would be a whole different level of technology that the movie's not assuming. And the thing is, the second reason that this bugs me is that the movie doesn't need it. So there's, it, the movie builds up to a dramatic sequence at the end that is powerful from a character perspective and could be just as powerful, I think, without this little plot detail of the memory being removed. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's my biggest nitpick. In fact, we'll just leave it at that because otherwise I would spoil the movie more. So, so go ahead and watch Advantageous. It gets the uh, Review the Future seal of approval, or at least from half of us. Ted, you can watch it and talk about it later. Yeah, well, I, I'll withhold my seal for now, but it sounds good. You, could, you guys should check it out. I guess that's the end of our bonus episode. This was a bit more random and disjointed than usual, but that's what do you expect. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. That's a bonus episode. So thanks for listening. And if you are still listening, please support our Kickstarter. We really, really want to uh, bring you guys a cool book and we could really use your help on that. Um, thanks for listening. We'll be back in one week with another proper episode. Thanks for listening. To subscribe or leave a comment on this episode, please visit reviewthefuture.com. You can also send emails to feedback at reviewthefuture.com. Thanks for listening.